This week, we're going to back up a little bit, and we're actually going to land the plane close to the don't worry area again, because we're going to do the first half of the conversation that led us into don't worry, where Jesus begins talking about not storing up treasures here on earth. And there's a reason why he does that, because he is very, very concerned on what we focus on. And so he uses this to drag us into the don't worry conversation because he knows that for about 5,200 years of human recorded history, we have a tendency to focus on our treasure and on our stuff. That happens to us. And since that happens to us, he uses this tension to bring us into a powerful conversation. But I want to talk about the power of focus for just a moment. So I got a couple of fun slides for us to kind of help us get on the same page, because I want you to see what happens when we shift our focus. So here's a picture. It's kind of fun, right? It's a cool picture. It's a picture of what? Dog, kind of creepy dog, but it's definitely a dog. I wouldn't want that dog. Look what happens when we change the focus and flip it upside down. What do you see now? An upside down dog? Yeah, me too. But look at these eyes and look at that nose and then look at these front legs. It's a cat. Can you see the cat? Right? Can you see it? All right. So this this is an easier one, right? Because this is clearly a what? A duck laying on its back. Yeah, see? It's clearly... But when we change our focus, it changes what we see. It changes our perspective. Let's do another one. This one's very simple. That's a me. It's a horse. It's a horse. Wait, you didn't see a horse right off the beginning? No? See how when it changes your focus, it changes what you see. Okay, let's do like one more. Maybe two more. All right, oh, this one's really easy. All right? That's like a little princess, and you turn it upside down, and it's like... She didn't age well. <laughs> this is a very famous one. You may recognize this one. What do you see? Don't, don't change it yet. What do you guys see when you look at it? Oh, okay. What do you see? Do you see a girl or do you see an old lady? Do you see a girl? Yeah. Do you see an old lady? Ooh. There's like some psychoanalyzing going on there based on what you saw there because I didn't even move the picture. It's just what did you see? But there's something powerful about what you're focusing on affecting what you see. We could look at the same situation, the same events, the same circumstances, the same picture even, and based on where you're focusing, it will affect what you see and your perspective. And so Jesus walks us into this conversation and he's gonna talk about worry and worry is the crescendo. But he starts by saying, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and earth. Why does he say that? Because he is concerned about our focus. Now, here's the other thing about focus I want you to catch. Focus will greatly determine your balance. And whether or not you stay in balance, move out of balance, wobble and crash and burn will always be connected to how you focus. So if you've had a kid or as a kid, if you ever took dance or cheerleading or any of uh, uh, gymnastics and you had to spin around or get up somewhere high, they teach you when you balance that the critical thing about balance is that you choose a point to focus on. And whatever you focus on is what you balance to. So I'm going to give you some laws of balance because there's some laws that are connected to balance here, okay? And the first law of balance is this. You need a focus point. You need a focus point. So I'm going to do an illustration. And uh, who am I going to pick on right here? Beth, would you come up here real quick? All right. Beth's going to come up here and help me. Everybody, this is Beth. If you haven't met Beth yet, she's awesome. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just balance this on your hand just like this, right? Just like this. But here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to look at that exit sign, not this board, okay? And try to balance it, okay? Go. Try to no, look at uh, your chi, you're getting over there. Yeah, look at the exit sign, right? Okay, all right, whoop, see? It's difficult, you're managing for a little while, but you can do it. Now here's what I want you to, I'm gonna change your focus point, okay? I want you to look right at the top of this piece of wood, okay? She's super coordinated, I picked a coordinated person. Look at that. Very simple to do. Perfect, right? So the key, thank you very much. You can sit down. The key, right? She did awesome. I wanted to have someone else do it so you can know because I practice now. So I didn't want you to think I was faking it, okay? And so, <laughs> and so last service I did it, but now I'm like pro. Okay, so here's the thing. The key to balance, first law of balance is that you have the right focus point. If I'm focused somewhere else and I'm trying to balance this, it's never gonna work. But if I have the right focus point. The second thing, and you saw that when Beth was doing that, right? Is just constant little corrections. Just little constant corrections. Right focus point, constant corrections, right? And what's the last thing? A clear objective. Clear objective. My goal is for this to stay balanced. If that's not the objective, then it doesn't matter what I'm focusing on or what kind of corrections that I'm making. I have to agree on what the goal is. So those are the simple rules, the law of balance. Now, here's what I want to tell you where this comes in handy, because Jesus is going to use our finances. He's going to use our wealth. He's going to use that to kind of introduce us into this tension. But I know this is true, and you know this is true, because we've experienced this in our lives. And I joke a lot about our first year of marriage. Um, we learned a lot of things that year. Um, I often talk about, I learned that it was really difficult to stay married and still play the amount of video games that I wanted to play if she didn't ever go back home to her house. So that, that was one thing. But I'm going to give you a little different angle, <laughs> a little different angle. I was 19. She was 20. When we got married, we were young. We were in love. We were high school sweethearts, and we thought we knew it all, and we blended our resource pool for the first time. We got a little apartment, and we got a joint checking account, and we were very new to this idea of how do we manage our life. So there were some skills that we didn't develop yet, and one of the skills that we didn't develop was how to look at our resource pool and look at the number of days that our resource pool had to get us to and make decisions to balance those things out. We didn't have that skill at all. So here's what it looked like in the Allison house, year one, we're juniors in college and we get paid. We have good jobs, like management level jobs for college kids, like really good jobs. So we get paid a pretty good amount of money. We're paying our rent because that's important. We're paying our cable bill because, you know, that's important. We're paying for, you know, our, our basic stuff. And then we get to whatever's left over and we're like, man, we're doing pretty good. Let's celebrate. Let's go out. And so we would go out, and then we would go out again, and then we would go out again, and then we would go out again, and then we would run out of money before we ran out of time, and then we would fight, and then we would fight again, and we continue to have tension because we got like a case of Top Ramen and a thing of eggs to get us through the rest of the month. And there's only about four, even when you're in college, about the fourth day of Top Ramen and Eggs, you're starting to get a little agitated. And so, so we couldn't figure this tension out of, of this. Why? Because we were out of balance. So we went and actually met with a, uh, a post-marital counselor, right? You should all do premarital counseling. I recommend premarital counseling, but we, come on now, sometimes we need post-marital counseling. And we met with a post-marital counselor and we started talking about our tension. And he smiled and he said, your problem is you're out of balance because you haven't focused on a point that you can manage. And, there, and here's the thing. When we violated the law of balance, we had eventual consequences to violating that law. So what happens when you break the law? There's consequences, right? There's consequences. Now, here's the problem. If you break a law and those consequences aren't immediate, you don't always connect 
the behavior or the actions to that consequence. Let me give you an example. Some of you, I won't say who, tend to drive a little faster than a posted speed limit might say is the appropriate level to drive. None of us do that, but you know, I'm in a room of nobody who does that, right? So here's the thing. If for some bizarre reason, one of you happened to be driving at a pace, because I would never do this, at a pace that's beyond the posted speed limit and nothing happened, you wouldn't even think about it. You just get where you need to go and be fine. But if you were driving beyond the posted speed limit and all of a sudden, you know, there's some lights came on, you looked over your window, your heart would do this, zoom, 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 right? Ladies, you start working on the tears. You're like, ah, pinching your face. You're like, <laughs> try, trying to get emotional, right? Guys, we're just like resolved. We know we're hosed. Like, we're not getting off of this. There's no way. But if there's a consequence that follows it, then guess what happens the rest of that drive? Do, 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 two hands, 10 and two, right? Cruise control right at the speed limit so you don't blow it. That's what happens. If there's an instant consequence, we get it. But if there's a delayed consequence, sometimes we don't understand. So we had a delayed consequence in our household. I won't say who this happened to, but one of us happened to roll through a yellow light and all of a sudden the cameras on top of the thing went off right? And so there was no reason to worry about that initially because I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. The car just lit up, whatever, right? <laughs> but you who from around here understand that that means a letter is coming to visit you with a very specific dollar amount penalty. So guess who doesn't do that anymore? Consequence, changed behavior connected to that. That's what happens when you violate a law. Here is the problem is that most of our life and most of the kingdom principles don't work based on immediate consequences to our actions. Usually there's a delayed consequence to our actions and the law of balance gets violated and we find ourselves wrestling with this other law, which is this principle of the, uh, of the my brain is losing it. Please put it up there for me so my brain can come back. Of the harvest, thank you. The principle of the harvest. And what is the principle of the harvest or the law of the harvest is you reap what you sow. But here's the thing about a harvest. Imagine you have two farmers and one farmer gets up, goes out, does the work, plants his seed. The other farmer gets up, decides not to do it, just has a party, hangs out, no big deal. The following week, both, har both farmers have the same circumstance going on. They don't have any crops. Nothing's changed. A few weeks later, Maybe a little something's changed, but you can't really, it's a negligible difference. But then comes the time of the harvest, maybe months later. And one farmer has consequences for his actions or his inactions that are different from the other. And here's what happens to us, is we look at the farmer who's got crops and we go, hey, God, why are you persecuting me? And I got no crops. Because we think things work by kind of the, the, the instant law, but they don't. A lot of times the consequences don't come until later. This is why Jesus is so concerned that we concentrate on our focus point because we don't always experience the consequences of losing focus in the moment. And you know this, you know this in your personal finances, right? You whip out the credit card and splurge. At the end of the month, your, your world's the same. But the next month, come on now, all of a sudden there's some delay, some consequence. The month after that, 
there's more consequences, and the piling on consequences come afterwards. That's the principle of the harvest. You reap what you sow. And so the, the Bible tells us that we live in a realm that operates more on the principle of the harvest, come on now, than on lawbreak instant consequence. And so we have a hard time sometimes connecting our situation, our pain, our whatever's going on right now, because we look around and we're like, God, why are you persecuting me? Come on now, because we're standing in a field and there's no crops. And Jesus is like, I've been trying to calibrate your focus because you've been focused on the wrong things. Your life got out of balance. And this situation that you're now find yourself in has collapsed. Hopefully that won't hurt us. We need new carpet anyways. Anyways, <laughs> so that's the law of balance and the principle of the harvest. The, the principle of the harvest shows up in scripture time and time again. My favorite example is in Galatians. Paul says it this way. He says, hey, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he reaps destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit, he'll reap eternal life. So let us not, I love this. This is an underliner if you ever an underliner. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What is he saying? He's saying when you're keeping your focus point, you may not always see the immediate consequences, but don't get frustrated and be like, well, whatever happens, happens. He says, don't get weary. Why? Because you are setting the stage for your future. It's a pretty powerful principle. That was good. That was worth it, right? You can go home right there. That was pretty good. So we can walk in a little bit further. So today I want to talk about Jesus warning us about what it takes and what happens if we get focused on the wrong things. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter six is where I'm going to be. Beginning in verse 19. And we're going to walk into the do not worry part. So we're going to kind of book in the series on this. But I also want you to know, I am aware that we preached this, or we talked about this uh, back in November. So if you're with us in November, it was actually November, I think the weekend of the 13th. I think that's, what is that, Veterans Day or whatever. So most of you weren't here, so it's fine. Um, so if you listen to the podcast, this will sound familiar. Otherwise, <laughs> this will be some of the first time. Um, but we're going to take a different angle. Then we focused more um, just on the kingdom principles of where we invested our wealth. This time, I'm going to talk a little bit more on the kingdom principle of where we put our focus. And so, uh, so we're going to walk through this uh, piece just a little bit. And here's the thing. Let's be clear. Jesus is talking about this because he is aware that we focus on our stuff. We focus on our wealth. We worry about it. We stress about it. We think about it. It draws our attention. When it's not going well, we are very concerned. When it's going well, we still focus on it. Let's not be dishonest. So here's Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And he says, do not, it's like, knock it off. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, key to this whole thing, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is he talking about? He's talking about your focus. He's saying there is a connection to your treasure, like from your treasure to your heart that will become the center of your focus. You will be focused and devoted to it. So wherever you place your treasure, your heart will follow. And this is a battle for your heart. 
Verse 22. So he says, hey, so the eye is the lamp of the body. He's talking about what you're looking at. If your eyes are good, what are you focused on? Your whole body will be full of light. You're focused on the right things. That's what he's talking about. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is he saying? Your focus will determine what's going on in your heart and in your life. Look at what he says in verse 24. This is amazing. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word for money there we know is mammon, which is like the the lowercase g God of stuff. It's just represented materialism. It wasn't just about dollars and cents. It was accruing stuff. Right? If you're like, I don't need a lot of money. I just need a big house and a nice car and a boat. I don't have this problem. I don't care if I have anything in the bank as long as I have everything else I want. He's like, no, 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 the stuff. The stuff, whatever that represents. It's like, don't get locked into that. Now, I love that he uses this word devoted. He says, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other because devoted is a powerful word because in just a moment, he's gonna start talking about worry. And devotion is connected to worry. And the word for devoted right there, it's this picture um, of, of the thing you hold on to that makes you stable, that makes you firm. It's the thing you're the most like clinging to. This is the rock that I wanted this to be stable. So you brace yourself against it. That's the picture of devotion, of what devoted is. I'm holding on to this thing. It's the thing I'm clinging to. That's what devotion is. Means Now, devotion is, a, is a, an interesting thing because devotion will fuel what you worry about. Whatever you're devoted to, you'll worry about. Here's how I know. Some of you are devoted to your kids. So you're worried about them. You're stressed, you're thinking. Some of you are just, you're, you're feeling the pressure. You're like, I'm devoted to my children. So I'm worried that your devotion will drive whatever you're worried about. Now, I'm not saying devoted to your kids is bad, but let me just make this clear so you can understand the distinction. I have never lost sleep as a pastor at night over your kids' academic successes or failures. Why? Because I'm not devoted. I'm not clinging to that. Now, if you called me up and said, I'm really concerned. My kid's struggling in school. I'd pray for you. I would care. I would have concern, but I would not be devoted to that. It's not my, my security, my sanity is not locked on to how your kid performs academically. So though you may call that, call me for that and I may care, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lose sleep over that, right? I am not losing sleep at night over how well or poorly you're able to retire. Now, I want you to retire well. I really do. I want it for you. I want you to retire big. I hope you have millions, billions. I don't care what you want. I hope you have whatever the Lord provides. I hope you have that. But I don't lose sleep at night worrying about your 401k or lack thereof. Now, if you call me and we have a relationship or you send me an email, we're talking and you're like, I'm devastated because my 401, I'll pray for you. I'll care. I'll be compassionate. I'll believe in God for big things with you. But I'm not devoted Do you see the difference between devotion? The way you're devoted to those things. So Jesus is making a connection here. He's like, your devotion, the thing that you're clinging to, the thing that's giving you a sense of stability, that's making you feel secure. He goes, you're gonna either find that in your stuff or you're gonna find that in the Lord. Now, this is fascinating because I think this is a weird dichotomy for Jesus to paint. Like when you look at opposites, right? If I was gonna say, tell me the opposite of love, you would say 
hate, all right? But tell me the opposite of hot, you would say cold. Tell me the opposite of God, you would say money? Wait, that's a weird, that's a weird tension, right? When you say Satan or evil or something, right? But, but he doesn't paint that picture. He doesn't say there's gonna be a, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and Satan. That's not the thing he says. He says that the contention for your heart is gonna be different than that. And I think he's pretty clear that no, no one would just go, hey, I think Satan has my best interest in mind, Right? I, think he's, I don't think he's having a conversation with a group who has that conflict in their life. He's talking to just regular people and they under, he understands this is the thing you stay up stressing about. This is the thing you're devoted to, being able to provide your own security, having enough, because here's the thing. We think that we have less t- money than we do time, right? We think that we're gonna outlive our wealth we're, we're afraid that we're going to outlive our provision. And we're, you know, especially in today, we can get some good medicine, and, you know, and, and we could live a long time. And is our thing that we're holding on to going to make it? So we worry more about our wealth and our stuff than we even do about our life. Because on some core level, ooh, that was next level. Did you track that? On some level, we're worried about that. All right, I'll move on. That was good. But, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. Devotion is whatever you're focused on, whatever you have. And so, so now listen, there's the other side of this <clears throat> where we say, okay, well, then my answer is going to be I'm just not going to be devoted to anything, right? I'm just going to live kind of whimsical and whatever happens, I'm just going to go whatever the way the wind blows. And I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I can say this because I grew up in the Bay Area I've lived twice around Seattle. I've lived really close to Eugene for almost 14 years. So I know some hippies. <laughs> so I am, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like generalizing a, a people group. I'm speaking from experience of living around a group of people who, you know, maybe just in a generalizing way, they're kind of just free spirit, like, oh, whatever happens, happens. I'm just rolling with it. And they're saying, well, here's the thing. I'm not going to be worried about anything. I'm just going to cruise through life with no focus point whatsoever, and I don't even need to be in balance. I'll just float through. But we know that that also doesn't work. In fact, the scripture's so clear that that doesn't work. I love in, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, and, and you're probably familiar with this passage. In the NIV, it says, where there's no revelation, the people just cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. What does he say? He's saying when there's no picture, preferable picture of where this thing is going, when there's no focus point, everyone just kind of does whatever they want. Everyone just kind of hangs out. And we know that system doesn't work. I I like this this version of it. It says this. It says where there's no vision, King James Version, people perish. What's he saying? He's saying that when when everyone just kind of does whatever they want, it just ends up with death. There's no life there. We just end up dead. He that keepeth the law. And then I like the New Living says this. When people don't accept divine guidance, they run wild. They run wild. When people don't have a focus point, they run wild. And you've seen this. You've seen this when you've had arguments with people or, or tried to have tension with people and try to resolve something. And you're like, you're not, there's no focus point here. You're just all over the place. I'm trying to have a conversation because it seems like there's something going on. And you're just like, blah, 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 blah. and you're like, well, no, that's not the thing. You're like, okay, well then, blah, 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 blah. you're like, no, 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 that's not the thing. And you're like, they're just jumping from thing to thing to thing. And it's like a nonsensical. And here's the thing. There's no focus point. They're just with their eyes closed trying to balance their life. And that's a disaster. And so the scripture's clear, we have to have a focus point. And it's also clear that our instinct is to make that focus point our stuff and our security. 
which is why Jesus walks us into this conversation by saying, hey, don't store everything up here. Don't get locked in to building your security out of your stuff right here. So as soon as he says that, verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, here's the other do not. Do not worry. See, he ties that because he knows we're going to be worried about it. Do not worry about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink or about your body? What will you wear? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Remember, we talked about worry. We defined worry like this, to torment oneself with disturbing thoughts. Worry is self-torment. You have conversations in your head that get into and affect your heart that either do or don't have any basis in reality, it doesn't even matter, but you're actually assaulting your own heart. Here's the thing I want you to catch. When you worry, you do the enemy's work for him. You do his job. His whole goal is to get a foothold in your life, a foothold in your heart, to begin to contaminate your trust and your faith in God. And when you worry, you do his work for him. And there's many of you who would say, well, I never just embrace like what the enemy wants to do in my life. And then you're worried all the time. And he's like, I don't even have to mess with you. You have self-contaminated. You have self-damaged uh, your own heart. And as your heart goes, your life goes. So then Jesus brings out this analogy, which is just mean. I love the way he just deals with things. He's like, hey, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And I love this. Because he asked a legitimate question. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe that you're more valuable than a bird to the kingdom of heaven, to God? Do you believe that? Some of you are like, I'm an animal activist. I'm like, that's fine. But do you believe... In the picture of creation, God created everything. On the sixth day, he created man. He said, this one's in my image, and this one gets my spirit, and this one I designed for relationship with me. So do you believe that you're more valuable than the bird? Do you have at least that much? Because Jesus asked the question. We kind of gloss over it as funny, like, ha, of course I am. But do you really believe that in all of creation, when God designed you, and breathe life into you and desired relationship with you, that he actually assigned a value to you? And you believe that it's more than just something random, that it's personal and that it's great? Look at the birds of the air. I love the birds of the air because the birds of the air are a great picture. Because again, one of the things I'm always worried about are like my kids and family and all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking like, like some of us are in here and we're just worried because we can't get our nest emptied right? You're ready for someone to move out and they haven't moved out or you're whooping that they grow. And birds, they just kick them out, right? They just build it high and let them fly. He's like, I don't know what the picture is there, but you do whatever you want with it. it just, it's just like, he's like, listen, they don't manage these things. And then verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Now, I love this picture. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We understand health and medical professionals have proven that worry and stress actually diminishes the length of our life. So not only are we not adding to our lives by worrying, we're not expanding the depth and the length of our life. We're actually diminishing 
you're wasting time and you're dying quicker. Double negative. He's like, don't do that. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. See, he's going after something here. He's going after your faith. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? (laughs) For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need him. Let's stop right there for a second. He's talking about pagans and that's a weird word for us, but essentially pagans just mean people who don't believe in any God whatsoever. So he's creating a tension. He's saying people who don't believe in any God whatsoever, who don't believe in a creator, who don't believe that there's anything beyond this earth, the only thing they have as a focus point is this. What am I gonna eat? What am I gonna wear? Am I gonna be okay? Am I gonna have what I need? That's all they have. Now listen, we live in a culture where we're not often worried about, are we gonna have enough food? Are we gonna have some clothes? Do we have a place to sleep? Right? We're pretty blessed. And so those are things that would have been a primary concern to his culture. So you, I'm gonna give you some permission. This is like bad hermeneutics. People are like, don't do this, but I'm just gonna give you some permission. You can insert into the dialogue here. Hermeneutics is study of the Bible. Uh, this is a bad, it's a bad way to do this, but I, I want you to get the principle. The principle is you can insert into here the things that we actually worry about in our culture, in our context. So imagine if, uh, for me, if you will, allow me to just rewrite as we go here. So don't worry about the equity in your home. Don't worry about your 401. Don't worry if you're going to be able to pay for college. Got real in here all of a sudden. Everybody tensed up. Everyone's like, I'm signing up for that next Dave Ramsey class. And then right this thing, right? You got all got grumpy at me. You can insert whatever the thing is that you're worried about. Oh, ye of little faith. Because people, pagans, who don't believe in any God whatsoever, that's all they have to calibrate their life. That's the only focus point they have. But that's not you. That's not the only focus point you have. Is he saying that those things are bad? No, he's not. He's a matter of fact, he's gonna actually, he's gonna relent a little bit here in just a moment so we can breathe again because everybody's tense right now. So stay with me. But he is saying that people who don't have a relationship with God, they got nothing else to focus on. That's not who we are. And then I love this. For the pagans run after these things, and catch this, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He doesn't say, and your heavenly father doesn't care about those things. That would be merciless. That'd be the end of the, I would just go home off of that. I'd be like, seriously, you know we're gonna struggle with this and you're indifferent? He's not indifferent. He knows. He knows that your equity of your house is an issue. He knows you're trying to save. He knows you're trying to pay that bill. He knows what you need. He's attentive. He's personal. He's invested. Remember we talked about all the hairs on your head are counted or the few heads on your hair are counted. The hair on your head is counted. (laughs) He says the heavenly father knows that you need him, but look at verse 33. But seek first. Here's the focus point. Here's the whole thing. Here's the focus point. Where do you seek? Where am I looking? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness 
And then all of these things will be given to you as well. What is he saying? That's where your focus point goes. We're the Jesus people. We're the God people. We're the ones who have a relationship with our heavenly father. And he says, that is your focus point. Stay dialed in there. Doesn't mean don't care about those other things. Remember, the principle of the, uh, uh, of the harvest is gonna come into play. We're gonna have to stay focused and be responsible and do those other things. All throughout the scripture, that principle comes into play. But he says, if that's all you're focused on, the pagans do that. That's a whiff. We are the ones that start saying, how does this affect the kingdom of God? How does this affect the heart of God? How does how I use my time, energy, and resources align with the will of God? He says, start there because your heavenly father knows what you need. And then he'll add all these things to you. Verse 34, so therefore don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Corey Ten Boom, the author wrote, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry doesn't solve anything for tomorrow. It just brutalizes today. Again, we're talking about focus. We're talking about focus. So I got these uh, binoculars because they help me think about focus. Plus they're awesome. They look like Indiana Jones ones. <clears throat> so I think they're great, All right? Because I want to think about what it means when I focus on something, when I give my attention to something. I haven't seen Eck for a while. Looking sharp, dude. You did well in all that sun out there. Great job, right? When you focus on something, what happens when you focus on something? When you focus on something, it becomes bigger than it really is because it has your attention. It has your focus. When you focus on something, other things begin to fall out of your view. You begin to get a more narrow picture because you're focused on it. And you know, this is true. You've seen this happen in relationships. You've been in good relationships, good friendships, and you've been focused on a, a certain attribute of that, that person. And it gives you mercy. You can, you can look past the other ones right? So if someone's kind, like Sarah's very kind, and I go, okay, I go, you know, I mean, every time I see Sarah, she's so kind, and everything she does, I just put through this lens of, she's so kind, she's thoughtful, she's always thinking about other people, right? How kind is she? That's amazing. And then I got Ryan over here, and I'm like, Ryan, he's kind of selfish, <laughs> right? The only time he, he commits to anything is if it's a benefit to him, if there's something in it for him. And I begin focusing, and that's all I see about Ryan. There may be all these other attributes to Ryan, but I begin to focus and dial in on that. That's what focusing does, right? It makes something bigger. It makes it, now Ryan is not that way at all, by the way. Ryan's one of our worship leaders. He's a stud, one of the kindest guys on the planet, but it's fun to pick on him. Um, <laughs> but that's what, that's what focus does. It escalates, elevates, enlarges one thing. There's, there's a reason why in this passage, Jesus talks about when, when he says, don't judge, right? When he says, don't judge, he says, why are you focused on the speck in someone else's eye and you're omitting the log or the plank in your own eye? That's where this plank came from. Remember from a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. And I, and I talked about this picture of to get close enough to deal with a speck in someone's eye, I might clobber you. I might actually be dangerous, but I was thinking about this even further and it was, it was coming to my attention. And I, I think about this because I'm not a carpenter. I didn't think about this initially, but I had my wood again. And so I was thinking about it. And here's the thing, a speck, a piece of dust out of this wood, it comes from the same stuff that's in this wood. So when I get focused on something that's in your eye, that speck, but I got a plank in my own eye. 
most likely it's connected to something that I already see in myself. It comes from the same stuff. And because the same stuff is in me, I see it in you. What happens? I become focused on it. And then I can't handle it inside of you. And I start getting judgy and emotional and making all these choices. But what's going on? I'm just not being honest about what's going on in me. And so I see it. It's made from the same stuff. And then I see a little bit of it in you. And then I leap out at it. How much, I don't even want to go there, but I'm going to just run by there and then let you deal with it. How much of the emotional, judgmental, cultural battles are we unable to see that it's the same stuff that's in us that we don't like in them, whatever side of them and us that you, okay, you can deal with that however you want. I'm not going to bog down there because I bog down there. It'll get real powerful. And then I won't be able to put it on the podcast. People will be writing letters. <clears throat> we focus on the wrong things. And whatever you focus on gets magnified. It gets bigger. It gets larger. It becomes a bigger deal. So if you're focused on your stuff, that will dominate your life. It'll get magnified. It'll get bigger. You'll get blinders. You'll only be able to see, do I have enough? Do I have too much? Can I get there? Is this the amount? Am I there? Jesus says, don't do that. Focus on the kingdom of heaven. Focus on what God's plans are for you. Focus on what he's able to do. Now, here's the problem that we have, is we have a hard time, uh, and I'm gonna just talk about a tension that pastors have. I'm gonna talk about the good part and then the tension, but the cool thing that I get to do in ministry, one of the best things I get to do in ministry, it's awesome, is I get to get like, uh, like a, I get to covet and gather your stories. Every time God does something amazing, people love to share that and I get to be a part of that and it's awesome. So the time God came through, the time miraculously the finances were there, the time the health miracle came, the time the relationship got mended, the time that I get to mm, collect, that's awesome. I love that. I, feed me, feed me, feed me. Give me the testimonies. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's great. It's one of the just best things about being involved in ministry. But here's the other flip side of that. The same conversation, the same people, I get to hear when there's tension and stress and you're worried now, come on now, that God may not come through. And I get to go, hey, wait, didn't we just have a conversation? Wasn't it about this time last year, this time last week, this time yesterday, whatever it was, that, that God just showed up and you saw his hand move and you saw his provision and you saw him be faithful and now today has a new problem and you're now worried that tomorrow he's not gonna show up? What happened? Well, your focus, right? Your focus dialed in. You didn't focus on the kingdom. You started focusing on, come on now, your treasure here working itself out and it gets broken. Sometimes I think if we can just remember the things God's done, how much of the pressure it would take off of tomorrow and the worries of tomorrow. But we're bad at that. That's why time and time again in scripture, he's like, build an altar, build a remembrance, write it down, write it on your tassel, on your thing. Re tell the story. Remember, 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 because we got a short memory on the things God does and a long line of fear and worry when we're not sure if he's going to do it again. It just happens. Now, there's one more piece here, and I'm, I'm getting close to the end, but I want to I land on this place a little bit. And I just want to be honest with you. I'm still figuring this out. 
So I'm not an expert here, but I just, I felt this tension, and so I'm going to share this tension, and I'm still studying, and maybe in a month or a week or a year, I might feel different about this tension, but today I feel this tension, so I'm going to share it with you, and uh, if we have to take it off the podcast because I learned something I didn't know today, at some point, I'll just be honest with you, but here's the thing that I was feeling about this tension, so I'm going to give you this. I think that there's a thing here, because here's something that happens to us, us church folks, us Jesus people, right? We are good about this thing. We are good about telling someone, hey, when you start a relationship with Jesus, he makes all things new. Your past is done. He paid the price for you. You are marked paid in full. It is over. You don't have to carry the baggage, come on now, of your past into the future because God did a thing when he showed up and intercepted the destiny in the course of your life. You are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I am not bound by the weight and the baggage of my past. And so I am good at looking someone in the eye and saying, hey, you don't have to carry that past you into the future Jesus paid for that. And we believe that. We deal with it, but we believe that. And we can tell that story. We're good at telling that story. We're good at looking someone in the eye. And because I had the conversation, pastor, you don't know what I've done. You know what I do know is whatever you're about to say next is nonsense according to the word of God, because he's paid for absolutely every single thing. Like that is, that's the gospel. That's amazing. Here's my tension. I think sometimes in our ability to say, God, we trust you with our past. We trust that that's covered. We trust that it's, you know, the, the covered by the blood. Whatever explanation that you, the cross paid for it. We got it. It's over. It's done. We look at the future and we say, so I'm going to worry about that instead. This gap of time between now and when I'm standing face to face with you in heaven, that's the part I'm not sure that you've got covered. And so here's, here's Jesus saying, don't calibrate your focus like because you know I've got the past covered, but you have a new area to push your worry onto and say, instead I'm gonna worry on these next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. That's the part, God, I don't think you have covered. And so here's the conversation that Jesus is saying. He's like, listen, the, the, the principle of the harvest is all in here. You've got to continue to stay focused. I want to calibrate your focus, but I don't want you living in worry and terror of the future because it eliminates your effectiveness in the kingdom today. And today I have something for you. Today there's something good. Today there is life available to you. So don't stop trusting that I care about the future, just like you don't stop trusting that I've covered your past. And so now be free of the tension and terror of those two things and do something for the kingdom today. And that's the story. And that's the tension. And that's why he's like, hey, don't, he's not saying it's bad to have a 401 or a 503 or an IRA or whatever you have. 503, I think is a nonprofit. That's weird, but can't, I'm dealing with other stuff. It's not bad to have any of that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if that's where your heart, if that's where your focus is on, if you're worried that I don't have that part in mind for you too, you've missed it. That's what people who don't believe anything worry about. So be responsible, be a steward, take care of the things, follow the path, uh, the principle of the, of the harvest, do all of those things, but don't let that be a point of focus of your life. The focus of your life is that I've got something for you today. And 
Think about what we could do if we weren't terrified, worried, concerned about the future. I don't think it's any mistake that this conversation happens right after Jesus has a talk with us about how to pray. Right? Because he had a conversation in this car. He says, he says, hey, here's how you pray. And he gives some things about not praying this way. He's like, don't pray like this to draw attention to yourself or to make it about you. He says, when you pray, you have a relational conversation with the king of the universe and you ask him for a few specific things to deal with your debts, to deal with your heart, to bring heaven to earth and to give you what you need for today. In fact, he says it this way. Matthew chapter six, verse nine, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's how you do it. You don't have to overcomplicate this thing. You don't have to worry that you're doing it right. You just come into the presence of God, invite the relational component to happen, deal with any of the pressure that you're dealing with, and ask him for the provision that you need for today. Focus. Focus point, minor corrections, balance, goal. So here's how we're gonna close. We're gonna close the whole series this way on the do nots. We're just gonna pray the way Jesus prayed. We're just gonna say the words that Jesus said. Some of you are like, I don't pray out loud. Don't worry, I'll put the words up here. We're all gonna read it together. I'm not gonna put any pressure on you. We'll talk about praying out loud some other day. But we're <laughs> just gonna pray what Jesus prayed. And I'm gonna believe that those of you who have been stressed and worried about the future are gonna just begin to live what Jesus said to live in today. I'm gonna keep my focus on the kingdom and live in today. So would you stand with me? I'm gonna put this up here one more time. And we're gonna pray. <clears throat> and we're gonna just read this together and you can follow my cadence and you can just mouth the words if you're chicken, but come on now, don't be that chicken. <laughs> so Jesus says, this is how you do it. One, two, three. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.